This is the Dennis Miller Option. Your source of opinions, stories, and laughs from comedian and inactivist Dennis Miller, his guy Friday Christian Blatt, and superstar producer Lindsay Floyd. And now, it's him, Dennis Miller. Hey, folks. Welcome to the Dennis Miller Option. Reading uh, some Nancy comics here. <laughs> this bitch be crazy. <laughs> Gotta give it to Ernie Bushmiller, man. Just... <laughs> I mean, I bought a book of them, so, so they make some dent, but you can't say they're exactly uh, Voltaire, you know, but uh, maybe Voltaire wasn't Voltaire. Um, but they're so simple and sweet. <laughs> but Sluggo just kills me. I don't quite know what that's about. Something about the his shaved head, you know? It's like he was uh, Eddie Furlong in American History X before Eddie Furlong. And um, it's funny, uh, the, the aunt they stay with is, uh, they've always got her in, uh, I don't know, I think Ernie had a black bralette thing, because he's, she's always in lingerie at her makeup table. Everything else in the strip is like completely stripped down for speed, but uh, uh, what is her name again? Can't hear, I, she doesn't have her name in the strip here. But uh, she's on the phone in her lingerie, Say, I'm taking Nancy and Sluggo up to the farm for a vacation. We're leaving today. They cut in the second panel to Nancy, who's just throwing stuff all over the apartment or the house. I don't quite know where they live. She says, Nancy, what are you doing in there? And Nancy says, if a burglar breaks in while we're away, and then in the final panel, she says, he'll think another one was here ahead of him. It'll go away. And I thought about it. That's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. But then I thought, no, no. It's brilliant in a way. It's the smartest thing you've ever seen. <laughs> it's reductivist brilliant. And it reminds me of uh, reading Robbie Robertson's autobiography testimony about the band. I've been on a big band jag the last few uh, few months and uh, reading everything I can. And this book's great. I mean, it's great. And they were... Well, it's sad in a way because three of them were heroin, often on heroin addicts. But uh, in there, you can hear the also the esprit de corps, the Elan, them coming into their own. I always love that part of a biography, and some just weird little things that you never think of. You know, you always think of the band up in Woodstock, and for some reason, I just had it in my head that they must have went up to stay in Woodstock after Woodstock happened, but they didn't. They lived there before Woodstock because Dylan had moved up there. Dylan Thomas, not Bob Dylan. No, I'm kidding. Um, Bob Dylan had moved up there. Oh, I thought you meant Luke Perry from Mana 210, <laughs> so I was all over the place. Um, they they had toured as the Dylan's, uh, Dylan would do his electric tour with them when they were unknown. And they just got booed every night all around the world. They got booed, stuff thrown at them. I mean, really. You know, Dylan would do the front half of the show in acoustic set, and he was a god. And then the back hat, you know, he went uh, electric one year, and uh, everybody hated it, all the folkies. And, you know, as we see in the world, sometimes a lot of people with a lot of love in their heart can wish you dead if they find you not as loving as them. And indeed, the folkies, I'm sorry, I have to overpronounce the L, but I'm from Pittsburgh. You know, I, I would, my, my predisposition is to say folkies. And then you'd go, well, where's the L? So I think, how, do, how does anybody 
breeze through that L in an insouciant manner, and then I overpronounce it, and then it becomes, you know, Nick Falk is playing for the uh, Chicago Bears this year. So anyway, um, they got booed. They're in such a weird scene. Dylan wants uh, to jam, so they go up, and it, it eventually yields Big Pink, which is just an unbelievable album. Remember the first time you heard The Wait? You just thought, whoa, 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 The Wait is over because The Wait's here. And uh, so they're leading a very, uh, sort of like a guy who makes maple syrup for a living life up there. And uh, Big Pink is a sort of studio clubhouse outside of the town of Woodstock that they go to. And Dylan uh, picks... uh, Robbie up every morning to drive to work. <laughs> Just the thought of that makes me laugh. Bob's here, honey. And uh, not on a motorcycle, in a car. And uh, so they're driving out, and Dylan gets on the weirdest Jags. And this reminds me of a Nancy cartoon. It's so reductivist genius. Uh, one morning, Dylan says, uh, we got to watch ourselves. Uh, the band is not even famous yet, so... It's not we, but I guess Dylan's trying to spread the wealth here. <laughs> His guilt about maybe becoming a proletariat uh, elitist in a way. Uh, although it doesn't sound like he did completely. I would not say Bob Dylan became a limousine liberal at some point. But he's he's dealing with this massive fame. He's, I've been reading stories about people jumping in front of your car and getting hit. And then suing people, especially high-profile people. So you can see he's in the early stages of thinking, Christ, I'm no longer Bobby Zimmerman running around bleaker trying to get laid. You know, I'm not like a huge cause celebre and people are over-interpreting my stuff and uh, making more of it than even I make of it and less of it when I make of it something. You know, he's just in that weird, awkward zone and you can tell it all spills out in this thing where he's worried about somebody jumping in front of the car and Robbie goes, what are you talking about? Bob, and he says, "Well, listen, uh, you know, they jump in front, and then they sue, and I'm finally starting to get some money, and they take me down." And Robbie says, "But um, you, you got to." He says, first off, why are you driving like an old lady?" And he's, uh, you know, he's doing like twenty miles an hour, and he says, "Well, m- mainly that, uh, you know, I, I want to be cautious." And uh, Robbie says to him, "Bob." Don't you think if somebody was going to jump in front of your car to sue you and make money, they would be looking for the day that you're doing 20 to 25 as opposed to the regular 55 to 60 we do on our way to the studio? And Dylan looks at him like, you know, it makes sense in a Nance Ernie Bushmiller sort of way. And uh, Dylan says to him, and they're so stoned the whole time. Everybody's just so stoned up there. And Dylan looks at him in perfect stoner logic, says, uh, see, that gets you coming or going. <laughs> and I thought it's just like a Nancy payoff. <laughs> you can see these two guys splitting a joint on their way out to the studio at 8 in the morning and Robbie hitting him with some pretty beautiful sluggo Nancy logic there saying, driving slow isn't going to help you. They'll, they'll be looking to do the gypsy thing when you're driving slow as opposed to faster. <laughs> and Dylan probably takes another draw. It's like Bill Hurt and uh, the big chill. And, uh, 
when Mary Kay plays says, I, I, last time I talked to Kevin Costner, not Costner, but his character, Alex. we had a big fight on the phone, Alex, you know, we had a big fight on the phone, and Bill Hurt takes a draw on the joint and says, I think that's probably why I killed himself. <laughs> Stoner dialogue. Oh. And uh, that reminded me of Dylan just getting all hung up on uh, Robbie hitting him with some cold, hard fact of him having to get out of it by going, see, they get you coming or going. And then they go out and they write uh, some of the greatest songs ever. So um, I highly encourage you to read that book. And uh, I highly encourage you not to watch the, uh, uh, well, I found it heartbreaking, but uh, people might dig it. Uh, there's a, and, you know, I'm a big Levon Helm fan, but there's a documentary made about him when he's an older man. And Jesus, it's tough to watch, you know, because he's working uh, gigs where, you know, these bad gigs, uh, bad theaters where I can see my name on the wall, you know, quite frankly. I've signed a <laughs> cinder block in the background. And uh, it's tough to watch him. Well, that was before you went electric. Once you went electric and you started <laughs> plugging in the mic, then people liked you better. What do we... Oh, they got this... Uh, I see yesterday morning they arrested this... Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell... I can't believe this. Uh, I cannot believe that it took this long. I, I, I'm trying to think. She must have. She must have it on somebody. Yeah, my thinking is that they were building the case against her, and they want to make sure that they arrest her. You know, on the right things. You know, the warrant or whatever it is has all the stuff that they actually need. I think they probably knew where she was the whole time. They were just, uh, you know, she wasn't going anywhere. God, did you watch that documentary on Netflix about Epstein? I actually couldn't bring myself to watch it. I thought about oh. it, and then uh, I, I I watched a uh, light half-hour comedy on Netflix instead called Never Have I Ever, and it made me and my wife laugh, and we were glad we didn't watch the Epstein show. Well, that's so funny because, Christian, that exactly mirrors my uh, experience uh, when I was went to watch it the third time through. <laughs> Turn the lights out this time. I thought this is... This is more time I spent on Ken Burns' Civil War. Oh, well, hey, that's a different story entirely. But, uh, by the way, how long before they go after the night they burned old Dixie down? Because it's, it's quite a, uh, uh, a beautiful lament uh, about the uh, spinning down the uh, drain of history. But yeah. there there are some things in there where the guy is painted, you know, just as a regular guy. And I'm sure they're coming for that song, too, down the road. So you might want to let's see what's what things do you have to load in now? Is it possible? And I haven't seen anything, but I saw a blip about this. Is it possible that people have trouble with uh, Hamilton? I have never seen Hamilton, but is, is it? Yeah. Is it a racist show? I thought it was a hip hop show. No, but but Alexander Hamilton was a slave trader. So that I think is the germ where the problem comes from that they made this, you know, this multi-ethnic cast celebrating. I I have not seen it. Yeah. So I don't I I do they desecrate him in the thing or is he made out to be a good guy or what? It doesn't uh, the guy who seems about as woke as you can be who wrote it Lynn uh, does he play Hamilton in the original thing? Lynn Carmen Miranda, yeah, I think is his name, unless I'm mistaken. Lynn Manuel. Thanks, hey, Lindsay. What happened to you? Over there? <laughs> All of a sudden, <laughs> still, what was it the pronunciation? Over? Manuel. 
Miranda. <laughs> but did Victor he play Cilindus. him as an evil guy, or did they? No, I, I can't I think imagine I, I, them going in every night to yeah. see this if uh, they're just. It's about a racist. It, it seemed to do so much business. Yeah, I saw it in I saw it in the theater once, and it, it won me over after fifteen minutes. But at first, I was looking at my wife. I'm like, I think this is exhausting. They're 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 singing much too fast for me. But I think it was pretty even handed. I think it just you know I don't know how historically accurate it was, but uh, you know they're not like he's a great guy. They're not like he's a bad guy. It's just like well, he was just a guy that was involved in the founding of the country. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it should be that objectionable. And and you'd think that that cast could kind of get away with telling that story but uh you'd be wrong but there are, I, I thought i heard something that they're after it and so certainly they'll be after the night they drove old dixie down oh yeah and i'm wondering christian does uh, when you saw it does do they have a duel between hamilton and burr yes all right well that happened historically you're not exactly screwing anything do they change yeah. it for the thing or you know where they did i think that was out in hoboken I think it's, is it Hoboken or Weehawken? Oh, Weehawken. I just remember reading, I think they get in a boat and go across the river, yeah. right? I mean, either either way, they both have great pizza. Come do with me. <laughs> 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 if you could use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. You know, I keep uh, Sinatra's opening of Tender Trap on my TiVo. Uh, to watch it periodically. Have you ever seen it, Christian? Uh, I don't know if I if I know that one. I, I, I you see a pair of oh, I forget what sort of eyes. Uh, suddenly, just like that. Oh, sure. But at the beginning, yeah. they show Sinatra walking. It looks like the L.A. River or something. He's way off in the. Uh, it, it sort of has a Stargate feel to it, or a, a Fra- Fra- Frank Herbert Dune feel, where he's way off on a piece of concrete, and he's in some. Sun- it looks as hot as hell, but he's in a houndstooth or something. Uh, there was a period there where it, it seemed that nobody was wearing the light fabric suit. Sinatra has a hat on, and <laughs> he sings and hits his spot at the end as the beginning of the credits go, and it's uh, absolutely a beautiful opening. And uh, I I never watched the movie. I I've seen the movie once, The Tender Trap. It's a bit a bit of a charming trifle, but not my not, not enough to make me want to watch it again. But I do watch that opening around once a week. It's just like me going to Costco once a week just to feel the clarity of the place and see. Well, for a while there, it wasn't well lit, but it looks like it's back to being well lit and uh, uh, clean. You know, they come by with the little urban. Zamboni machine and polish the floors and I, I just like the clarity of it. It seems to me the world's gone mad and something about and I know people are gonna say the Costco guys are liberal. I don't know about all that. I'm talking about walking down the aisles and seeing some products that I've seen there for twenty years and then getting myself a hot dog and a drink for like a buck fifty on the way out somehow grounds me. So um but I can't go back till they start doing free samples again. And there's, there's just nothing for me there if I don't get free bite-sized food. Christian, I was out there one day, and a guy was working a double hot plate thing, like the Sugar Hill Gang. <laughs> <laughs> he had uh, sure. some fried, uh, fried black bean paste, and then on the other side was a, a salsa, but it had been put into a, what's it called? Uh, 
that bit. <laughs> you know, I was trying to get in before with uh, Nancy's aunt. So uh, Aunt Fritzy, and apparently Fritzy Ritz is what the strip was originally named after. And they introduced Nancy like a decade in and, and she fonzied it. And they took away the aunt and made it about her because she was a more popular character. Well, Ernie must have had something for her. He must have known somebody like Fritzia. That must be his type, because like I said, every time you see her, she's in uh, Fogel, Hosiery, Hansen, Fret, <laughs> 400-count sheets with a pocket rocket. You know, the, the whole rest of the strip is about, hey, give me that colander. I need to get a haircut. <laughs> and then she is always in porn-adjacent mode. Um Nancy Sinatra, I'm gonna Sinatra groove today. I'm gonna to have to go back up to the main house. And Jesus, folks, you don't even want to know. And uh, watch, watch a little. Uh, I'm gonna to try to find the YouTube thing of Howard Cosell at the main event. Remember, we used oh, to play that. We used to play that on the radio show. Yeah, that's that thing's amazing. The young romantic lead, Robert Redford, Rex Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny and he perfectly hits the mark like sinatra in the tender trap so i think i'm, I'm gonna spend a little day uh looking at some sinatra stuff today hey folks summer's here crazy hot outside and i live in a reasonably temperate place deep in the bowels of the vatican no after a few minutes i feel exhausted i'm ready for a nap between the sun beating down and the heat and the humidity, dehydration kicks in, and it kicks in fast. Hydrant is your key to getting back up and running more quickly than ever before. Top performers in business and sports often attribute success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting daily goals, exercise, or meditation. But not everyone has time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings and feel great. You feel exhausted in the morning, even though you just had a good night's sleep. You can follow all the best habits and recommendations, but still find yourself starting the day on empty. The cause may actually be dehydration. You try your best to drink water throughout the day, but that's not possible when you're sleeping. You wake up drained because you're going hours without a single sip. It does not need to be that way. Hydrant has created a refreshing electrolyte powder that you mix directly into water to efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. It hydrates you quickly and keeps you going for longer. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, and it packs a punch to help your body hydrate fast and stay hydrated. If you're looking for that extra boost of energy, there's also Hydrant Plus Caffeine, which contains 100 milligrams of caffeine from green tea. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by an Oxford scientist. It's also loved by pro athletes, top performers, celebrities, and has thousands of five-star reviews. It's made with real fruit juice powder. It's delicious, refreshing, comes in a variety of flavors, including new summer-friendly iced tea lemonade and fruit punch. I like an old Arnie Palmer, and I get that with the Hydrant iced tea lemonade. Uh, plus, I know it's Arnie Palmer 
but uh, with all the good stuff in it, too. Although Arnold was a good guy. Plus, it's backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. You really need to try it for yourself to see what I'm talking about. Tastes incredible, and it works. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. Save even more with a monthly subscription. And we've got a special deal for our listeners to save 25% off your first order. Go to drinkhydrant.com slash dentist and enter your promo code dentist at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com slash dentist and enter promo code dentist for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com slash dentist and enter promo code dentist to save 25%. We thank them for sponsoring the podcast. What are we doing on the show today, Christian? Well, the uh, let's just say the voice mailbox has become unwieldy. So I thought today... Let's clean it out! Yeah, today's a good day for that. And uh, the first voicemail I want to play, oddly enough, is voicemail number one. It comes from our friend Gene in Philly, who he knows a little bit behind the scenes. He knows what day this podcast is posting. So he has a little tidbit about the day that would have been yesterday for all of our listeners. I realize that the show is airing on July the 7th, but I thought you might like to know that July the 6th was the 63rd anniversary of when 15-year-old Paul McCartney went to a garden fete at St. Peter's Church and met 16-year-old John Lennon for the first time. So Paul, uh, he impressed him by not only teaching him how to, to tune a guitar, but he also impressed John with a version of Eddie Cochran's 20 Flight Rock. And I just played that on an Eddie Cochran model dredge. I think it should be a national holiday. Pretty fab, huh? I think Eddie Cochran and Gene Vincent, didn't they eventually wrap it around a pole or something uh, uh, in in England while touring England, if I'm not mistaken? And for Gene to whip the Gretsch out like that, beautiful. Um, uh, Gene follows all things uh, um, Beatles. I think he knows Sinatra, too. He likes the band. And, um, you know, I, I remember I told him once my... Uh, my uh, Sinatra story. <laughs> he hung on every word. He loves stuff like that. And uh, it was, uh, I don't know, Christian. I, I wonder if it's time to reboot the old, uh, I haven't done it in so long. It's funny that you asked that because let me jump ahead to voicemail number 10 because uh, there is somebody in there that uh, might be on the same wavelength as you. I'm a contemporary of yours, Dennis. I'm from Charlestown, Rhode Island, and I can't thank you enough for the podcast. You lift me up. I have a long ride to visit my mom three times a week. She's in hospice now, but you make me laugh. Your skylight ad where you said, Mother's Day gift from my mom. No, wait, she's dead. And then you did a Manscaped ad. Wash it off and put Irish Spring on it. Oh, my gosh, I almost drove off the road. Please do your Frank Sinatra story with your mom, maybe next Mother's Day. It makes me cry. I took my mom to see Frank on Mother's Day in 1978, and it was the best day. Please keep up your political rants and movies and reviews. Take care and say hi to Slim. I love you. Yeah, how nice. Now, Christian, uh, by the way, Sinatra was a caliper baby. And uh, I think that's why he had a scar on the 
left side of his face, am I mistaken? I think the left side. And uh, I had to get that, uh, that Sinatra, I, you know, I have a, a voicemail sheet today, and I saw that there was one. I was trying to pull that out of you with calipers. But it was a tense. So you were willing. <laughs> when, I, when I kept talking about Sinatra, yeah. talking about Nancy yep. and Tina, and uh, you didn't sense I had to go to 10. It, it literally was a one through nine thing. Hey, when we talked before the show, I said, as soon as you mentioned Frank Jr., I'll get to it. I'm still waiting for the <laughs> Frank Jr. story. Where is it? We had Frank Jr. on once. He was very urbane, right? Yeah, he was great. Well, Frank's in, Frank Junior's in the story because he's a uh, he's in the uh, orchestra pit the night. All right, let's take our time with it because uh, people periodically request and uh, my dinner with Frank Sinatra. So I'm working in Las Vegas at the MGM Grand. This is right around the time I think they found out. Remember, they well, maybe you weren't going to Vegas then, Christian, but. I know you like Vegas, but uh, for a while there, the entrance to the uh, casino was a huge gold-plated lion's head, in the MGM lion, and you had to walk into its mouth. And uh, then, oh, oops, design flaw. They found out that that's bad luck with the, I guess, Chinese or Japanese high rollers. Yeah, the Hawaiian. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, they were they were avoiding the place. So here you have the entrance to the casino, and nobody wants to go in. Uh, not that high rollers are walking <laughs> in with the hoip boy to begin with, but yeah. uh, look, just a little sprinkling a little cardamom on the story. So anyway, um, I'm at the MJM Grand, and I'm going on that night, and I go into Las Vegas, and I have my wife with me, uh, and we have our baby, Holden, who is now. Um, 30-ish, so that kind of dials in this story because he was still a baby then, so let's say he was somewhere in the zero to six because Christian, when did you didn't you guys um, your wife breastfed for a couple years then you took over for the next four years and then they mistook the child for Dan Blocker from Bonanza <laughs> Get back on Earth feet, right? If I'm not mistaken, something. Look, I just want to be closer to my boy. What's wrong with seamless that? Seamless handoff, folks. Seamless. But anyway, I get a call from Tom Dreesen, who we've had on here recently. And Tom uh, is working at the Desert Inn with Frank. And he's opening for him. And our shows are staggered. And this will show you how what a square I am. My show's on earlier than Sinatra's. And he's, you know, in his mid-70s at this point, but I'm going on earlier. And uh, Tom says, hey, uh, our shows are staggered. If you'd like to come see Frank, I'll set up tickets. I go, oh, Tommy, you're killing me. So how many you want? Now, I have my mother in tow, too. Koi Koi, our newly hired Filipino nanny. My wife, pregnant with our second son. And she has the baby in tow. That's our crew. I say, well, listen, uh, Tom, can you leave three tickets, one for me, one for my mom, and one for my bride, and I'll see you later. He says, fine. So I do my show, and I can hardly remember uh, how that went because I was so excited. I think I broke out my uh, international house of pancakes. That's how long ago this was. 
my syrup steward helped me with a selection. I chose a very dry maple, busy, never precocious. And I backed that up with, uh, I flew in today. I don't want to travel on trains. I don't ever want to be on any form of mass transit where the general public has access to the braking system. I'd hate to find out we went off the tracks at 200 miles an hour because Gus thought he saw a woodchuck. So that's material <laughs> I was doing at that point. Although Letterman always liked Gus, thought he saw a woodchuck that yeah. made him laugh. Name like Gus will always get Dave to laugh. <laughs> so I say, yeah, leave three. Uh, I do wrap my show. I go up to collect everybody. And uh, uh, my, as I said, my wife's preggers. And she said, you know, honey, I don't feel up to it. I'm just uh, tired. And I've seen Frank already. Um, so why don't you just go? And I go, well, I have the third ticket. Why don't I take Koi Koi, who lives with us at that point? And uh, I said, I hear her periodically listening to Sinatra in her room, and I know I'll give the third ducat to her. She's a capital idea. Off we go. We go down to see Frank, and it's uh, it's it, it's great, but it's not vintage Frank. He's uh, you know, I don't want to say he's got vector on the end game, but he's in the denouement. He actually repeated a song. This is where Frank Jr. comes in. He was in the pit that night, and uh, nobody was going to tell him, especially the kid. You think he's going to look up and say, Dad, that's the second time you've sung that fucking... Of course not. He just looks at him and goes, better. Second time through, starts throwing some music terms at him. But it's a groovy show, and you know, I get to see Frank finally. And uh, uh, that was the uh, when Rickles said that Frank, uh, it, it, towards the end, he had Sicilian Alzheimer's disease. Remember that? He only remembered the grudges. And then he told me he had visited Frank down in the desert in Palm Springs, and he said, we went for breakfast, and a guy came up to Frank. He said, he said this is how old we are now, Dennis. A guy came up to Frank, and he said, I love those alligator boots, alligator skin boots. And Frank said, I'm barefoot. So... Um, these are the Rickles jokes. So anyway, uh, we, we go backstage after the show to thank Tom for setting up the tickets. And unbelievably to me, he says, hey, I told Frank you were here. He dug you on Saturday Night Live. He'd like to go have you come to dinner. I go, Tom, jeez, I'm going to faint. So off we go uh, in the old desert inn. They had this uh, really dinged up gold elevator. It was circular and it went up to the second floor right there near the door and there was a uh, Italian restaurant there, and it was great food. Uh, um, so you go in. There's the the bar area, then the main room, then the VIP room, then the VVIP room, then the uh, the Pope's in town room, and then way in the kernel, the nuclei. It's the Sinatra room, and they open the two doors. Tom does, and there, sitting across from me, is the great man. Uh, he's sitting at a table. His wife is to his right side, Barbara. I think she was Zeppo's old wife. And um, then on his left side is his attorney, his attorney's wife. Over his shoulder, two huge Luca Brasi bodyguards. Uh, Dreesen sits next to the attorney's wife. Uh, then I sit right across from Frank. Koi Koi, um, the nanny, or, or Tom sits next to my mom, then me, then Koi Koi, the nanny sits right between Barbara Sinatra and I. And we're having a blast. And I'm drinking. And I don't usually drink, but I always swore to myself if I met Frank Sinatra, I was going to pour four fingers of something brown on the rocks and clink them around and pretend I was in Ocean's Eleven with him. And he's telling me great stories about getting into a fist fight with a place called Mr. Kelly's 
in Chicago. So I'm just a pig in slop. And I'm a little blasted, though, because I don't drink a lot of uh, whiskey or whatever the hell that was. Um, and we're having a great time, and they're being so nice to us, and Barbara's being especially nice to Koi Koi, and I realize around 20 minutes in, they think Koi Koi's my wife. And I don't want to say anything, because I don't feel that I have to uh, you know, come out and assert that Koi Koi's not my wife. So I just roll with it. Um, but they're they're getting very cordial. and uh, But, you know, Koi Koi's a lovely, one of the dearest humans I've ever met, but I don't. I think she might be in shock at this point. I don't think she's quite clocked. You know that she's having dinner with Frank Sinatra. I think she knows she has uh, like uh, duties, nanny duties with the kid. And she actually, Barbara's talking to her at one point. Quickly looks at her watch right in the middle of it. I'm like, oh my god, this is getting shaky. And then under the table, Koi Koi nudges me, and on her lap, I look down. She's got an autograph book, and she's sort of sliding it. You know, like pointing it towards Sinatra. Under the table, though, I, I completely flip out. I can't believe this. I can't say anything, so I have to go complete, utter body language. I'm shaking my head so hard, motioning for her to keep it under the table, but now I'm panicked. It's hanging over my head like an autographed book of Damocles, and I, I think we got to wrap this. So after around an hour, I don't want to be rude, but I, you know, I need to get out of there now because I'm freaked out about the autograph book. We decide to get up, go around the table, and kiss the ring. And as I said, my mother's with me. Man, can you imagine to a woman, uh, this this happens in her 69th year, she dies on her 70th birthday. And I'm always thankful to God that he allowed this to happen. Um, she goes around the table first, and she says, you know, Mr. Sinatra, when I was a young girl, I saw you 1952 at the Stanley Theater in Pittsburgh, and uh, to finally meet you and have dinner with you is the biggest thrill of my lifetime. This is how cool Sinatra is. He looks up at her and he says, 1952, Stanley Theater, Pittsburgh. Yeah, I remember that show, baby. You were on the left side of the stage. You looked good that night. You looked really good. <laughs> my mom floats away from the table like a fern gully fairy. <laughs> She's just <laughs> blissed out. I have a tear in my eye. I step up to Frank Sinatra, I put my hand on I go, Frank, what you just did for my mother is the, he literally, Christian gives me the Jilly Rizzo face slap, takes the inside <laughs> slaps, he says, get out of here, kid. I, I'm just so joyous. I turn, Koi Koi steps up, whap, she hits him with the autograph book. I can't even look. I almost, Linda Blair, projectile throw up, I'm so freaked out. Over my shoulder, I hear Sinatra actually say, uh, did you say soy soy? <laughs> <laughs> and the bodyguard says, no, Frank, koi koi, koi koi. And then Frank says the greatest thing. He says, uh, K, C, what? <laughs> I can't even watch anymore. I, I rode runner cloud out into the front lobby. I'm so flipped out. It's so awkward. Koi koi and my uh, mom come out. Now they're, you know, like, flying in tandem right off each other's wings. And I, I, I say to Koi Koi, you know, she's in shock. She was living outside Manila in some uh, futon community or something outside Manila, right. and all of a sudden we're at dinner with Sinatra, so I can't get mad at her, but I say, oh, Koi, geez, let me see it. And I open up to the page in the autograph book, and it says, Tosopo, S-O-P-O. -O. <laughs> it's like he... <laughs> 
he went along with it so far and said, fuck this, I'm trying to eat. Here. Here's your Sinatra autograph name, your Sopo. Now leave me alone. Oh, I laughed about that. And then Koiko, years later, left us, our employee, got married to a pretty wealthy man, joined a country club and where she made a hole-in-one. I love wow. that story. She called Mr. Miller, I made a hole-in-one. I've never even gotten on the green on a par three. Anyway, she invites me out to some <laughs> Sunday dinner at her country club. I go out. I go in. It's the sweetest place. All lovely older people, all dressed up to the nines on a Sunday for an early dinner. I'm standing at the buffet with Koi Koi, and a guy walks past. He says, hey, Sopo, see you at Dennis. <laughs> so they're still calling her Sopo all these years oh. later. <laughs> So um, that is my uh, Sinatra story, and he did not disappoint. Um, and imagine uh, for my mom, oh, my God. I, I can't tell you how cool that was for him to do that. I, you know, it was probably a standard issue Sinatra move, but it was super cool. Um, what else we do in this hour, Christian? We got any other phone calls? Yeah, we, we'll get to them in a moment, but I just want to uh, do the ibid on this. Uh, if there's one thing you know, it's celebrity car wrecks. Uh, yes, Gene Vincent was traveling alongside Eddie Cochran. Uh, only Eddie Cochran died, but uh, Gene Vincent did spend the rest of his life with a limp because of that car wreck. Wow. Wow. Um, well, listen, man, you read these road stories. My God, Richard Manuel for the band and the testimony book. He literally is like keeping notches on his belt for rental cars. He's wrapped around trees up in Woodstock. <laughs> I mean, there was a time when, you know, it, it look, you know, you see the tight rain that everybody's under now in this uh, social media heavy, almost House and American Activity Committee you know, monitoring. Jeez, there was a time back in the 60s and 70s, and looking back, uh, you know, crazy time, granted, but these guys were just loaded nonstop. I wonder if uh, uh, Eddie Cochran and uh, Gene Vincent were loaded, or if they had a driver. I don't know that story well enough, but I'll have to go back and read up on it. But uh, the... Uh, just the fact that those two guys were in a car together and you lost one and the other one had a limp forever. It'll show you how much closer, you know, now everybody has their own golf stream and their own security. <laughs> and uh, just to think that they had to jump into a car, who's driving and uh, take off. It's a uh, wild, like another planet folks, much less another era. What else we got Christian? Uh, let's go to a, a great friend of the podcast, voicemail number nine, Chad from Canyon Lake. Within the last minute of today's show, Christian drops a Bob's a big boy. I get to hear Dennis Miller truly do a, uh, it's a cervix laugh, you know, when your body actually laughs. I don't know if you guys are making fun of me or if that was Christian, if that was a hat tip a head nod, a high five, a fist bump, but uh, boy, am I honored. Christian, I missed that. I'm sorry. And does he, did he say I have a cervix? <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. He said, thank you for your cervix. But I do oh. think, <laughs> uh, I think, I think, uh, I think he was hitting at, uh, he's, he's well aware that I'm a complete nutter pussy. <laughs> <laughs> 
don't think that's what he was saying. Was but I'm saying that. No. No, I don't think he was saying it, but we all know, you know. I mean, we just don't sure. say it out loud. Yeah. I concede the point. Um, a <laughs> cervix laugh. I had, I had never heard that. Um, but anyway, um, do you think in porn films, Christian, they have a craft cervix table that people meet at in between setups? <laughs> I hope so. Uh, what was what was he talking about though? You have to well, remember, folks. Uh, yeah, the moment this show's over, geez, I, I have to, I have to be reintroduced to Christian Lindsay each time. Uh, I think that he was just uh, impressed that a voicemail that we played of his uh, got legitimate laughter from us, and and I should always let the callers know that there's only one person that I fake laugh for, and that's Dennis Miller. If a caller you hear me laughing at a caller. It's because it was legitimately funny. Yeah. Well, nothing makes me laugh harder than when Christian has to fake laugh for me. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. See? Uh, he's like a, a spotter. Occasionally, <laughs> I'll be, the podcast will come right down on my trachea. And if he's not there to pull it off, I can. <laughs> what's up with the COVID? What's, what's the deal on the COVID? It's uh, it's just hanging around. It's the guest who came to dinner, you know. <laughs> we asked it nicely to leave. It didn't. Where does it stand right now? Won't we all have had it soon? Or it just know. seems like uh, I don't know. Certainly, the death count must be going down. I would think because it seems like every day I'm reading a headline about uh, how it's going up and. Lauren, and we've got the fourth coming up soon. I can only assume that uh, there'll be huge celebration, or maybe not. I don't even know what the hell's going to happen on the fourth anymore. But uh, I mean, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put masks on all of my fireworks before I light them off. So I think that's going to help. <laughs> I often get the feeling with the masks that at one point there's that great scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where Richard Dreyfuss is in the back of the Econo van with around eight other people. They have all got masks on and, you know, they've got dead cattle skeletons out on the road just to freak everybody out to clear them from Devil's Tower. And at one point, Richard Dreyfuss says, screw this, and takes the mask off and runs out. He's it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) I have a feeling that somewhere along the line, somebody's going to rip the mask off and do the, uh, I'm spurious. No, I'm spurious. Um, you know, I'm getting older. I, 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 I sometimes, uh, I, I know there's a virus and, uh, I know that, uh, I wear the mask when I go somewhere because I don't want to be the ball buster with people who are genuinely seem freaked out by it. But I must admit, I'm a little skeptical about some of the stuff. And, uh, but that's the, uh, like I said, you know, when I knew I was getting old, I went in for, a. Do you ever get your skin checked for uh, maybe once a year? Well, you're still pretty young, Chris. You never got sun, right? You weren't brandishing that body up at no, the beaches no. near Marist, were you? No, no, no. This is no. you weren't this exactly is a, Barbara Carrera. Uh, this is a look that I've cultivated for 44 years called Dungeon Chic. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I am uh, 66. What are you? 44. You're in your 40s, 30s? Yeah, 44. 44. So 22 years. See how I do that, folks? So in this case, 
two thirds literally is two thirds. It would say, no, no, 66 and 44 would be 110%. No, not quite, but in the ballpark. And, um, you should always go get your skin checked just to see that something that, uh, that little thing that looks like a, a, a Lincoln penny that you always show off in the hot tub <laughs> at swinger parties <laughs> might not be, uh, you know, not that, what takes you down quicker than melanoma. You ever had a friend with melanoma? I have not. I lost a close friend, man, and he was a big 6'4". I couldn't believe it caught him in his mid-30s. Gonzo. So it seems, you know, you have to check on stuff like this. And the other day, um, I, I said, I must be old now because I had something looked at on my back and uh, uh, back my arm. And he, he looks at me and he says, uh, no, no, it's just a liver spot. And I had a big smile on my face. Oh, Jesus, I'm to the point now where I'm lighting off Roman candles when it's just a liver spot. I never thought I'd see that day. <laughs> um, but these are the things that happen as you get older. Every story you've told has been heard before by your uh, significant other. You know, there are times now that I'll ad lib things at a party and my wife will say that again. I don't know, honey. I, I just made I just uh, made that up. What else have I been doing lately? I've been uh, going through a Ray Harryhausen jag and uh, watched Mysterious Island the other night and then thought to myself, is that Harryhausen? I think it is. I know the Sinbads are, and I think Harryhausen did uh, the giant crabs. And Yeah, he certainly had to. Who else was doing that stop action? So I watched that, and then I watched a six-hour Monty Python documentary on Netflix that you really should uh, watch, Christian. It's great. It's called The Lawyer's Cut. I've seen it. Oh. Yeah, it's fantastic. Weren't they all? You know, I had forgotten what all specific geniuses they were in yeah. their own way. So different. I mean, really, there's almost no overlap, right? But all um, all, just so smart in that thing and so well-spoken. Obviously, they didn't have Graham for purposes of the documentary, but they had Terry right near the end. I think Terry is, has Terry Jones passed since then? Yeah, uh, earlier this year. I forget exactly how many months ago, but yeah, I remember he passed away, yeah. And uh, he was so urbane and witty, but it's an, an amazing uh documentary and uh i sent off a nice salutation to sir mike the the knight it's so funny that the the, the knight is his knee is not actually a knight it makes me <laughs> laugh i don't think he was the who, what did mike play in that scene i'm trying to think was he the actual knight who said knee or i can't remember he, it all that well I I, like was, i said they're yeah. all geniuses sometimes it gets overloaded so i've been watching i've been watching a lot of bogart films i watched the Kane mutiny the other night and uh i i was just shocked that you know but i think bogey was voted the afi's biggest most popular movie star ever or the best movie star. i, even, I forget what the heading and you're looking at humphrey bogart and you're thinking my god bless him that's how great an actor he was that you really remember him at least in casablanca as debonair dashing charismatic and sam spade the same and uh you know uh so charming uh in uh, african queen and uh e even in the king mutiny where he plays a paranoid part parts of the film don't work but um 
And it reminds you, geez, God bless Van Johnson for showing up in there. And they, they must have not had one of the, the Westmore family on the uh, shoot. Uh, you know, Wally, Purse, Westmore, every famous makeup scene in Hollywood history, it seems to be done by the Westmore family. And in the harsh lighting of the cane in the uh, chow room and stuff like that, the galley, I guess, uh, then you can see Van Johnson just... I much like Monty Clift, horrible accident. I think uh, car accident up on Mulholland or something with Van Johnson. It must have just peeled his scalp back. Is the hugest scar in there, and they made no effort to cover it. Which the, the lack of vanity was kind of cool at that point. Uh, but he's he's actually great in it. Fred McMurray, I, I like Fred McMurray. Obviously, in Double Indemnity, he plays that part perfectly. But it's not as well written in the Kane mutiny and he starts to get on your nerves being anti absolutely everything. But bogey, once again, the stand that just so crazy looking and, uh, you know, it's like captain Bly with some Benoit balls or something, you know, where it, <laughs> he, he can't quit fidgeting. And I just, I remember thinking, yeah, imagine that Humphrey Bogart is probably the greatest movie star ever or a combination movie star actor. I would say the guy of our generation is like that is Nicholson, right? I mean, hardly, uh, or I don't know, Lindsay, you tell me young Nicholson, uh, appealing to you. Oh yeah. I thought he was really attractive. Yeah. But, but is he classically handsome or is he just, uh, witches of Eastwick before that ever existed? Uh, I thought he was unique, not not classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and the fact that the those two guys have pulled that off, and I think uh, I, I think Nicholson has three Oscars. Terms of Endearment, right? As good as it gets. And jeez, uh, what would he have started for, Christian? I'd like to say Chinatown, but then I'm always shocked when you find out somebody didn't win for something. Oh, uh, McMurphy. Yeah, for Cuckoo's Nest. That's what I was going to so say. So Cuckoo's Nest, as good as it gets. So Jack Nicholson did not win as Jake Giddies. Once again, uh, a shocking one. Now, I have a note here, Christian. We are going to talk about our favorite Mexican food. But I will stall that until next, uh, next show if we have uh, any voicemails we want to go out the door here on. Yeah, you know, uh, we got one call about that, but yeah, we're still taking your calls about Mexican food at 866-509-RANT, 866-509-7268. We're doing a big Mexican food show, folks, and people say, why are you talking about this and not the world we live in? You want to talk about the world we live in? No, I don't, because <laughs> it happened. Hey, the world we live in doesn't have enough guac, okay? It's, uh, uh, I don't, I don't want to. I'm sorry. It's just too... It happened. It's over. So just uh, figure it out. Before we move on to that, I just wanted to say it's interesting that you mentioned Bogart because uh, my wife is working on a new project that uh, I can tell you about off the air. But uh, as research for it, she's watching a lot of film noir movies and she'd never seen The Big Sleep. So we literally watched it two nights ago and and I've seen it a bunch of times. She'd never seen it before. And it's just I hadn't seen him in a little while. And it was just a great reminder of like, yeah, this this guy doesn't look like he should be a movie star, but uh, he just is. And the film so I, I can't even tell you what that film's about, though. Yeah, I mean... I mean, really, if you think about it, it, it is so all over the place. But what about the... Absolutely. <laughs> what about Lauren Bacall's younger sister? What's her name again? Really? How sexy is that girl? I love that girl. 
Yeah, I mean, she is absolutely beautiful. And then Bogey has that super horny scene in the bookstore with a young Dorothy... uh, I love that. (laughs) Dorothy Malone. You know that's Dorothy Malone is a young, like, bookish librarian who takes the glasses off and pulls the shade down on a rainy day. It's such a horny scene. I love that. (laughs) Drinking whiskey out of paper cups and that. I think she became a star in that moment. Much like, but then entirely not like Bronson Pinchot in Beverly Hills Cop. But, you know, she had a snippet to do, and she was so sexy. I think she goes on to win win an Oscar eventually for uh, Dorothy Malone for Written on the Wind, one of those uh, crazy potboiler movies like Imitation of Life and stuff like that. But I think that's when the public first sees her as a brunette. Yeah, she won for uh, Written on the Wind, Best Supporting Actress, 1957. But super hot in that movie. And Jesus, I, I can't believe I'm blanking on the woman who plays Lauren Bacall's sister, but a comely lass who I don't know what came of her. Uh, but she was a. Uh, what is her name, Christian? I got to look it up now before we wrap just because it's bugging me. I know, I've got to find it. Well, take your time, take your time. Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of the big sleep, Garth Hudson, narcoleptic in the band, literally diagnosed. So they're having band meetings, and there's five of them, and they go for the tiebreaker vote, and Garth's narcoleptic. Imagine when you're, uh, you go to break your tie, and the guy's, Garth! When your tiebreaker vote is narcoleptic! Sammy Khan lyrics. So Martha Vickers is who played uh, Carmen. Yeah, Martha Vickers. Don't know why she didn't become a bigger star, but those are the vagaries of show business. If you looked at that movie and you'd say, who's going to be an immortal out of this movie just on looks, you would have put Bogey below the caterer. And you would (laughs) have said, who is Martha Vickers? She falls away into history and Bogey is the... uh, God bless him. I would have guessed that Bogey was the caterer on the set. <laughs> I don't, it's almost Karloffian sometimes when they catch him on a bad angle and Kane Mutiny has got a vein running, uh, you know, running down the right side of his head in there when they shoot him in close up. It looks like, uh, you know, it looks like the uh, carpool lane on the 405 from the Galleria down to <laughs> LAX. <laughs> There, there's a moment where they ask him how old he is, and he says he's 34. And I, I just, I laughed out loud. He was, he was in his 50s when they filmed it, but he said he was 34. 34. Well, give it a time. What, I, I, you must tell me this uh, story, or at least let's pretend you're going to tell me this story, because we, the next time we talk, we'll be back on the air. Yeah. About what she's re- is she researching bogey or detective or noir the genre or what? Is what I can say. That genre is a project she's working. on. All right, all right. So, uh, film noir, I guess, and it's uh, called Dennis Miller, Private Eye. <laughs> Rafe Gutman. I've played a cop in my life. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, so, folks, thank you for joining us. And I'm I'm trying to make this more Cracker Barrel stuff logic. Oh, and... I love the biscuits at Cracker Barrel. Oh, I don't even want to say that. We can get in trouble for that, but yeah, it's just right. not worth it anymore, folks. You're right. Uh, there's, uh, you know, I'll do this as long as I can, the pod, but uh, you can't talk. 
you know what I mean? It, it, it turns your life into complications where you've got to talk about things you don't, uh, you never intended and all that. And just kind of chatting. So fuck it. I'm not doing it anymore. But thank you for tuning in. I'll do my best to make it interesting or at least quirky. And we'll see you next time on the uh, Dennis Miller Option. Thanks for listening to the Dennis Miller Option exclusively on Westwood One. Tune in to new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday on the Westwood One app, westwoodone.com, and on Apple Podcasts. And remember to rate, review, and share. Until next time, that's the show, and we are out of here. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Mm -hmm.